Welcome to Counter Apologetics. I'm your host, Emerson Green, and today we are concluding our series on epistemology. Parts four and five of this series are shorter than the others, so I squished them together here. We talk about the epistemic value of intuition and a couple problems I have with lacktheism, the idea that atheism is just a lack of belief in God, that atheists don't believe God doesn't exist, but simply lack any mental state whatsoever with regard to the proposition God exists. All right, let's get started. Intuitions don't matter. Oh look, it's another one in the just plain wrong category. There are many accounts of what intuition is. For more on that, see Majesty of Reason's thorough video on the subject. But I'm just going to rely on the one that I think is right. This may come as a huge surprise to you, but I agree with philosopher Michael Humer on this topic. I'll give you a moment to recover. Intuitions are intellectual appearances that are non-inferential. According to Humer, an intuition is a mental state in which something seems correct upon direct intellectual reflection as opposed to observation or reasoning. So a non-inferential intellectual appearance. Let's break that down a bit. Quote, there is a type of experience known as an appearance, or seeming, which is what you report when you say, it seems to me that this proposition is true. This is a mental state that represents something as being the case. It has propositional content, as philosophers say. It is distinct from a belief, but it normally causes beliefs. Under normal circumstances, you believe what seems true to you, because it seems true. End quote. There are several kinds of seemings and appearances, including sensory experiences, memory experiences, introspective awareness, and intellectual appearances. Quote, Intellectual appearances are appearances that result from exercising the faculty of reason, in other words, thinking about things, as opposed to looking with your eyes, hearing with your ears, etc. Among intellectual appearances, there are two species, inferential appearances and intuitions. Inferential appearances are experiences in which some proposition seems true to you in the light of some other propositions that you already believe, or already seem true to you, that seemingly support that proposition. Intuitions are intellectual appearances that are not inferential. That is, they are experiences in which some proposition seems true to you on its own, rather than in light of something else. End quote. So, we certainly cannot dispense with the idea that appearances can provide some degree of justification, since tossing that out would mean tossing out our sense data, memories, and so on. And we can't dispense with intellectual appearances either, since any rational being is going to be relying on intellectual seemings and appearances as they're working through arguments, evaluating evidence, making inferences, just generally exercising the faculty of reason. So on what grounds can we say that this one particular kind of intellectual appearance non-inferential intellectual seemings, can't be trusted. What principled reason can we give to include sensory appearances, but exclude intellectual appearances, or include inferential appearances, but not non-inferential appearances? I remember hearing Sam Harris years ago on a podcast say that anyone would be at pains to justify basic mathematical or logical truths without just an appeal to intuition. I remember this making me uncomfortable. Intuition seemed like such a thin basis for something so important. But the more I read about epistemology, 
the less it bothered me. Intuition is absolutely indispensable. We use it all the time. If you were to actually reject intuition wholesale, an enormous number of very obvious beliefs would vanish, and presumably everything based on them as well. So there are these intellectual seemings, these intuitions, and um, they often lead us astray. So some people want to, you know, like you mentioned, they're, they're probably not thinking this all the way through, but they want to like reject the uh, legitimacy of intuitions altogether. Think they just like are irrelevant or don't really count very much. But our intuitions do often mislead us, like uh, with probability or um, physical science. So you know, science often leads us to these counterintuitive conclusions. So shouldn't that cast doubt on the trustworthiness of our intuitions? Um, no. <laughs> well, yeah, so um, you can cast doubt on specific intuitions. I don't think you can cast doubt on intuition in general, such that like you would reject any and all intuitions. And I think the people who are saying that are badly confused. They're just like, you know, pathetically confused, right? So, you know, to try to bring out the confusion, right? Like, oh, okay, so I've heard that people have bad intuitions about probability, so don't listen to your intuitions about probability, right? Okay, and like, and how do you know that those intuitions are bad? How, how can we show this, okay? So let's think about this. So one of the errors that people are supposed to make is the conjunction fallacy. Like they've done, they've done these psychology studies where somebody, they, you can get a scenario in which somebody will judge a conjunction to be more probable than the first conjunct. And that is wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. But wait, how do we know that that's wrong? How do you know that the probability of a conjunction is less than the probability of the first conjunct? Oh, we know that from probability theory. Like, yeah, okay, what about like, we know that from the Kolmogorov axioms of probability. Like you can deduce that the probability of a conjunction is less than or equal to, okay. How, and how do we know the Kolmogorov axioms are true? Right? Like the person who's doing this experiment to say that people are bad at probabilistic reasoning is assuming that he himself can do probabilistic reasoning. How can he do that? Well, he can do that because he grasps the axioms, like the Kolmogorov axioms of probability, which are self-evident. Guess what? That's an intuition. Yeah. You're appealing to intuitions. Yeah, I, I think some people really don't appreciate how much of our intellectual life is just based on intuition. Like you said, like these kind of, you know, mathematical axioms or these like foundational mathematical truths. These things do just seem to like bottom out in like brute intuitions when it comes to like math or logic. Yeah. None of this is to suggest that intuition can't be wrong. Part of the appeal of humor's appearance-based account of intuition is that it easily accommodates the fact that our intuition can be wrong, and that we sometimes don't believe what initially seems to us to be the case, since appearances can be misleading. And yet, still, it makes no sense whatsoever to say that you categorically don't trust intuition. You do, whether you realize it or not. And that's fine, there's nothing irrational about trusting intuition. The least reasonable people in this conversation are the ones who are claiming to reject intuition altogether. No one really across the board rejects intuition as a source of justification. The divide is not between people who don't rely on intuition and people who do. The divide is between people who realize they rely on intuition and people who don't. 
God doesn't exist. Maybe this is slightly petty, but let's go over some basic epistemological terms. Belief is used fairly casually in epistemology. Outside of philosophy, that term is often layered with all kinds of connotations that are absent in philosophy. For epistemologists, to believe a proposition is just to accept it, regardless of anything else. If you accept a proposition, you believe it. Beliefs are a kind of mental state, a state of thinking something is the case. If you think humans evolved by natural selection, then you believe that humans evolved by natural selection. If, on the basis of scientific evidence, you conclude that smoking causes cancer, then you believe that smoking causes cancer, since you affirm the proposition. It's not a big deal to say you believe something in epistemology. There are no implications about faith or feelings or how you came to hold that belief, whether you strongly hold the belief or merely lean in favor of it, or what evidence or lack thereof supports the belief. Believing that smoking causes cancer does not in any way imply that you are absolutely sure with a Cartesian degree of certainty. It also doesn't imply that you believe it on faith or without any evidence. So, here's a proposition. God doesn't exist. I happen to think that proposition is probably true. From what I can gather, so does pretty much every other person who calls themselves an atheist. Given what I've said so far, it should be obvious that I believe that God probably doesn't exist, because I think it is the case that there is no God. Or conversely, I think it's not the case that there is a God. To say that I lack a belief in God makes it sound like I have no mental state at all with regard to the proposition God exists, at least not a doxastic mental state, which would be the relevant kind. But that's obviously not the case. It's not like I have no opinion. If a belief is a mental state in which I think something is the case, I have a belief that God doesn't exist. To be clear, this implies absolutely nothing about certainty or knowledge or anything other than the fact that I think something is the case. Why so many atheists insist on dying on this hill is beyond me. Personally, I don't feel like inventing totally non-standard uses of basic terms in epistemology in order to accommodate atheists who won't give up on saying that they lack a belief in a god, like a cactus or a baby. They just don't believe anything one way or the other about god. Does that sound like an accurate reflection of their mental states? A total lack of belief. If you have some other hang-up that motivates you to say this kind of thing, you can probably still stick to those other things without using terms in a non-standard way. If you think atheism is the null hypothesis, and the main reason to be an atheist is the failure of theistic arguments, then you can still go on thinking that, while also recognizing that God exists is a proposition that you think is false. You have not withheld judgment on the proposition, You do not lack a mental state about the proposition. You think it's probably not the case that God exists. You might say, hey, you're the one who's dying on a linguistic hill, pal, not me. Yes, I am dying on the hill of using terms in the same way in this context that I use them in literally every other context in epistemology. I'm not making special exceptions for the issue of God's existence, and unlike a lot of lactheists, I'm not avoiding giving a positive case for my position. I can give arguments supporting atheism. Lactheists generally don't know how to do that for some reason, so they build an elaborate system in which they don't have to defend the non-view that they hold. 
being uncharitable. So when we're talking about the idea that there is no evidence for God, that theism is unfalsifiable, that testimony doesn't provide any justification whatsoever, and that intuitions are epistemically worthless, you'll notice that in order to defend these things against objections and counterexamples, we often have to rephrase these slogans pretty dramatically. In the midst of this rephrasing, I sometimes hear that this is just what steel manning and charity look like. We should understand what's being said charitably. And of course, we should be charitable. It's generally a good idea to interpret things in the best way they could have been intended, not the worst way. However, when the most charitable reading is not what was intended by the person who said it, why should I bend over backwards to interpret the claim in the best way possible if they reject the better version? There have been cases when an atheist used a slogan like, claims aren't evidence, and someone tried to interpret it in the best way possible, but they were corrected by the person who said it. They were like, no, I mean it in the dumb way. Imagine if a Christian said, I believe that all non-Christians will spend eternity in hell. So Christians don't unanimously mean the same thing by hell, or even non-Christian. So there are more or less charitable ways to understand a statement like, all non-Christians will spend eternity in hell. But you shouldn't disregard the intent of the speaker in the name of being charitable. Maybe by Christian, they don't just mean people who said the magic words, and by hell, they don't mean eternal torture and flames. But what if they correct you and say, no, I mean everyone who doesn't say the sinner's prayer in this life will be set on fire for all eternity and raped in the ass by the devil? Well, okay then. I mean, if that's really what they meant, you should engage with that. You're not really having a conversation with them if you ignore what they meant and instead argue with a better version of their view. Hopefully, engaging with what they actually said will help them move to a better position. Maybe you can help them do that, but that can only be accomplished if we quote-unquote be uncharitable and engage with what they actually intended to say, not the best possible version of what they could mean. So, in closing, epistemology is hard, and no one comes out of the womb knowing any of this. I've made innumerable mistakes in the past about epistemology and philosophy, and unlike most of you, there's a written and audio record of many of the mistakes I've made, which prevents me from retconning my past to make myself look better. I know that I need to be understanding and forgiving with others because I know that I'll need them to be understanding and forgiving with me now and in the future. Like I said, I've made innumerable mistakes in the past about epistemology and philosophy. Epistemology is hard. I certainly don't claim to have it all figured out now. So I hope this can be seen as sort of a collaborative effort to try to improve, you know, to try to get closer to the truth. But that doesn't mean holding hands and singing kumbaya or something. I've been really harsh about these particular mistakes because I think they're mistakes. I think the people who say these kinds of things are wrong. Some of these slogans, if not all of them, should just be tossed out. This has been Counter Apologetics. Thank you for listening. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll talk to you next time.